Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Kelly and I are the directors of Innovative Faith Ministries, and our heart is to make the complex simple and the supernatural natural. And we also are a part of Arise 309 that Bob was talking about earlier. And so with Arise 309, we're contending for God's purposes here in the 309 area code and and looking for what God's wanting to do here. And these are our two girls that you see running around with us as well. And so uh, that was fun to see our youngest up there singing along with mom. And and, uh, Jesus said, let the children come unto me, didn't he? Right? That... Even if we don't praise, the rocks are going to cry out. As we were talking about, um, we started talking with Derek a while ago, and we said, you know, we would like to see the house of prayer grow. We want to see more people coming out in this region that are lifting up the name of Jesus. And I'm thankful for all of the churches that we have. And many of us, there's a lot of churches represented here, but it's also really fun I I mentioned to a friend the other night, it's like a family reunion. When we come together as the body of Christ in this region, it's like a family reunion. And what's it look like? That we bless these other churches and other houses that are represented. And uh, there was a a picture going around recently, and it said, when when one of your friends leaves a church, it doesn't mean you can't talk to them anymore. You're not in gangs. And just that joke that we can talk to other people if they start going to a different church. And so we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And, uh, and so um, we're going to start doing something every other, I should say, Every second Friday of the month, Arise 309 is going to be helping lead these services. And it's a twofold thing. It's one for the greater Peoria area, but it's also for what God's doing uh, even here at the House of Prayer. And so I was thinking, like, how do we bless the House of Prayer? And so Derek doesn't do this. He isn't like, hey, you can give an offering on the back wall, but you can, because I'm going to do this. I'm a visitor, so I'm going to say, go and give and bless this house, and go to uh, gphop.org, and you can give donations that way, too, because we want to further what God's doing through this ministry that is represented here in the 309 area. So please, uh, bless what God is doing here as he puts on your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. And so as I was praying about, Lord, what are you wanting to do? And, and we weren't even fully sure, hey, what are we going to do? Are we just going to pray? Or are we just going to worship? Um, I mentioned to our team, I said, I've been ruminating on the Father's heart recently. And I said, it, what do you guys think about me sharing about that? And they said, yeah, go for it. And so um, as I've prepared things on this, and even as Kelly and I have talked about this, we recognize that there's so much about the Father's love and the Father's heart that is yet to be discovered in our own lives, and I feel like the body of Christ, too, that there can be um, different levels that we grow in and understand 
and walk in that truth and revelation. And so that's what I'm going to share on tonight. And then we're going to pray for that for those that are in this room. And then we're going to pray for that in the region in experiencing the Father's heart and the Father's love in a personal way. So one of the things that I've heard and I want to start off with um, is that it's not possible to exaggerate the goodness of God. His God, His goodness, it cannot be exaggerated. He is so good and we don't understand that. And so we're going to look at that significance of knowing him as a father and how that impacts our lives. And then we're also going to look at areas that may have hindered our view of God or our perception of him as a father. The first thing that I want to talk about is that we are image bearers, that we, it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. So we are truly his image bearers. We we are representations of what he looks like. And and when you look at it, it's not just about God the Father, but it's the entire the entire Trinity, it says, in our likeness that we were created, and in our image um, we were created. And so The Father gets great joy out of giving us love, security, provision, joy, and abundance. He actually enjoys that. That's who his heart, who he is, and what his heart is as a father. And so when you look at the creation story, the Garden of Eden was the first home. And it wasn't just a location, but it was a place of belonging and a place where they sensed the unconditional love of God the Father. It talked about how he walked with them in the cool of the day. And home is the same place for us. Now, that's not always the truth, but that's what a healthy home looks like. It's that place where there's this sense of unconditional love. And even within the Trinity, it's a family itself. And we see that the Trinity made a family because it wanted another expression of family. And we get included into that. And so one of the things that I find is interesting that is if we, find, if we have a wrong view of God, we're going to have a wrong view of ourselves. If we're looking at God wrong, we're going to look back at ourselves or reflect on ourselves. Even if we have a wrong view of the scriptures and how to apply them, it will affect every aspect of our lives. Now, we know what happens in Genesis 3, right? There's the fall that we talk about. And the adversary himself, Satan's name means adversary, and his goal is to turn everyone in to a version of himself, fatherless, lost, And separated from God. And he brings doubt to the truth that God has said. And he causes people to live from that same orphan mentality. I heard someone joke that he was the first liberal theologian. Because he made them say, did God really say? Right? Because that's sometimes what you see in in liberal theology. They're like, does the Bible really say that? Did God really say this? And that's what he made Eve question. Did God say this? And and she kind of buffed at that and, and came back and even added to it, don't even touch the tree or look at it, you might die, right? And so you have this, this building on and this confusion that happens when he, he comes as an adversary and co- causes us to question God. 
He's the accuser of the brethren, and it says that he has been a liar since the beginning. That's in his nature. So Satan causes Adam and Eve to doubt what God has said. That leads to the fall. Now, what does that mean to us? We have earthly fathers, and some of you have had great earthly fathers. Some of your fathers loved Jesus. Some of your fathers didn't love Jesus. Some of you probably had a good relationship. Some had a decent relationship. Some of you had no relationship or poor relationship. All of those things can affect the way we look at God the Father. And if we're not aware of that, it can actually hinder our view of God, the way that we view him. He wants us to be able to view him and to interact with him in a loving way. Some people have a hard time connecting to God the Father because they have a detached relationship with their own dad. And I, I've heard stories of people who are like, Jesus I'm okay with, the Holy Spirit I'm okay with, but I, I just can't, I can't call him father or I can't call him daddy. I can't do that. Because there's so much pain attached to the relationship that I had with my dad. He wants to bring healing to those wounds. He wants to restore our own image of who we are, but even the image that we have of him. What are we projecting on God the Father because that same name is attached? If you had uh, an enemy in your class named Jill, and every time you hear the name Jill, it pops in, you're like, oh, Jill. Like, you can't even think happy thoughts about someone else being Jill because of the Jill that kicked rocks in your face. What if we're doing that when we think of father? Every time we hear father, we think back to the pain of the way our dad treated us, or maybe they were hard on us, or maybe they were absent. What are we projecting onto God the Father? Because he shares the same name. He wants to bring healing to that. In Malachi 4, 5 through 6, it says this, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So there's a prophetic promise in there that exists both it can it can be for our earthly fathers our fathers may even go on to be with the lord before we see this but that is the heart of even what jesus was coming to restore it's the heart of what elijah was coming to do we see john the baptist was part of that fulfillment and there's there's a, a twofold thing i was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about what the jews expected jesus to do right so they had been affected by the greco-roman Society and they're like, Jesus is coming back, and they're trying to make Jesus king by force, right? They're like, they read patches in scripture, and they thought that it was going to be a one and done, right? So they didn't understand Isaiah 53, where there was the suffering servant, and there was also a second coming. And so there, there's multiple aspects. It says before the great and terrible day of the Lord, there's going to be... Uh, an aspect where Elijah is turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. And there's also an aspect that I believe that it speaks to society too. This isn't just about biological fathers, but there's an aspect of understanding true sons and daughters and uh, we're seeing mothers and fathers being restored. And I think that even applies in the faith and and within uh the people group, where there's an honoring and respecting of those that are elder and, and 
I was talking to somebody the other day, we were talking about the gray hairs that we get, and we're like, you know, society looks at this a little bit different than the book of Proverbs talks about it. It talks about with pride, gray hair, and and many times we're like, oh man, look how, and I was joking with somebody, I said, I don't see how much gray I have until I get it cut, and then it all ends up on a black cloth, and then I'm like, whoa, there's way more there than I thought there was, yet in Proverbs it says that there is uh, it's a blessing to have gray hair. And there's wisdom in that. We've we, we got a couple amens going on in here. And so what does it look like where we bless those that have gone before us, that have paved a way, that have lived a life following after God? The next part that I think is really important is... Um, understanding the orphan spirit. And so Kelly and I have done some research on this and and, uh, it's really been beneficial for us and I I feel like it could be beneficial for you. So um, there are two people that that, uh, I've gleaned from this. One is a guy who's gone on to be with the Lord named Jack Frost and he's written on the orphan spirit. And, uh, And so he talks about just the dysfunctional relationship that he had with his earthly father And even when he became born again, he was moving and striving and trying to do all these things. And it wasn't until he had a revelation of the love of the Father in a personal way that it changed everything for him. And one of the things that he joked about, he said, I've been happily married for 30 years, and my wife's been happily married for 10. And so those first 20 years of his marriage, were, were, he was just really militant and... and even his children were scared of him until he had this revelation of the love of the Father. And, uh, and so that's something that the Lord wants to do in each one of us. And, and so that's one of the things, whether you feel like, yeah, I've had that or I want more of that, that we're going to pray into that and believe that for you. And so Jack Frost um, gives this definition of the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit causes one to live life as if he does not have a safe and secure place in the Father's heart. He feels he has no place of affirmation, protection, comfort, belonging, or affection. Self-oriented, lonely, and inwardly isolated, he has no one from whom to draw godly inheritance. Therefore, he has to strive, achieve, compete, and earn everything he gets in life. It is easy to... It, easily leads to a life of anxiety, fears, and frustration. So what's that look like where the person is living life as if they don't have a safe place or that's secure in the Father's heart? And another person that was ministered to by Jack that has um, written on this, and Kelly and I have heard him speak, and then he also uh, has written a book called Healing the Orphan Spirit is a guy named Leif Hetland. And he had a similar experience where he was born again and it wasn't until he had a personal encounter with the Father's love that it changed everything in his life, in his ministry, and in his family. We, we see that the orphan spirit showed up in the garden and the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. From that very beginning, we see that happening. And many times the orphan spirit manifests in one of two ways. It either can be rebellion into the world system, but it also can be into religion and self-righteousness. There are people that are affected by the orphan spirit, and the orphan spirit isn't something that can be cast out. It's not necessarily demonic, 
but it actually has to be supplanted and filled by God's love. And so if we have God deficits in our lives, we will have love deficits because God is love. So if we're having those places that are feeling like they're coming up short, we're going around the mountain the same and we're like, oh man, I feel like I've gone through this and I must not have learned what's going on because here I am going through the same situation. God wants to come and bring his love and his light into those places. He wants to bring his healing nature into those places. We don't have to question if it's God's will to heal because healing is part of his nature. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And that's not just for our physical bodies, although that's part of it, but uh, we're to be healed, saved, and delivered. That is what salvation includes. Salvation is healing and deliverance all in one package. It's not just our souls are saved and that we're going to be with him in eternity. It is not what we do that makes who we are. It is who we are that makes us do what we do. Does that make sense? It's not what we do that's who, that makes who we are. It is who we are that makes us do what we do. So Jesus, you know, he said, it's, it's not the outside of the cup that matters. It's on the inside. And he said, out of the mouth flow the things of the heart, right? And so we have this, we see it spoken about in different ways, you know, out of the heart flows the wellspring of life. But when we have things that are coming out, sometimes it's negative about ourselves. If we're speaking negatively about ourselves, we're speaking negatively about God's son or daughter. And if you have a relationship with a friend and you're like, hey, don't talk about yourself that way, I'd encourage you to hold the mirror up in front of yourself and say, don't talk about yourself that way. You are a child of God. You are an image bearer. You were created for glory. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You have been given a place that's higher than the angels. You have been shared the secrets of God. He says that he shares his secrets with his servants, the prophets. You aren't just a servant. You are a friend of God. You are the bride of Christ. He's coming back for you. He's going to put the ring on your finger. You're going to have a wedding feast. It's for you. I know some people joke about this. God loves you, but I'm his favorite. We each get to say that. We each get to say that. We all get to be his favorite. Whenever we pick up the phone, there's no busy signal. He is right there infinite amount there's there's no deficit it's not like oh well he's only got a thousand lines going up to heaven and that's all you get he hears our cry he cares about each one of us when we look at the story that's often called the prodigal son or sometimes it's called the lost son there's another aspect that uh that's mentioned in that story, it's also about the older son too. So we know about the, the younger son, right? He, he says to his dad, you know what? I'm ready to receive my inheritance. You're as good as dead to me. Uh, can you split part of what you have, dad? I, 
I, I'm done. Is that okay? Can I just, you know, cash out my 401k now? I know you're still alive. It's kind of faux pas, but can I do that now? I'm just going to go and do And the dad says, okay. Like that part to me doesn't quite make sense. But the, he's just like, all right, here it is, right? And he goes off and lives a lavish lifestyle because prodigal actually doesn't mean bad. It, it means lavish, he lives a lavish lifestyle, and in doing so, he spends it all, right? So then he's like, man, I'm working at a pig farm, which wasn't really good for Jewish people. He's working at a pig farm, and he is, he's like, I long to eat what these pigs are eating. This pig slop looks better than what I'm eating in the midst of this famine. If I humble myself and go back home to my dad maybe he'll let me eat what the servants eat because they eat better than what the pigs are eating right now. So at least that'd be a step up from the little that I'm getting. And what does the father do? He sees him coming from a long way off. He runs to him in a culture that doesn't run, right? And they had to pull up whatever their garments were so that he could run. Who even knows what that looks like? He's running to him. He puts a ring on his finger. He tells him to prepare a fattened calf. He throws a feast. And his son that was once dead is now alive again, right? So that story represents us. It can. That that's what Jesus says when, when we've gone far from him, that he puts a ring on a fi- his finger and he welcomes us in. But there's a second person in the story that can represent us too. And that's the older brother, right? Because he did everything right. He's mad at the dad. He was like, how can you do this for the brother? He embarrassed our family. He spent it all on prostitutes and loose living and whatever he decided to do. I did everything right. You never threw me a feast. And how did the dad respond? Everything I have is yours. It was always his all along. And he never realized that he was trying to earn his dad's favor when he couldn't even earn it. It was already there. And that's the religious side where they're trying to do everything right by the book, trying to earn their way into heaven, and it doesn't work that way. Now, is there room for holiness? Absolutely, and righteousness for sure, but it's not about earning anything. It's about love. So many people know that they're saved by grace, but religion comes in and they lie that from that point on after the cross, everything is their duty. It's all up to them now. How does Paul address that? You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you that you think that what you received in the spirit you now can earn in the flesh? That's not the way it works. So the orphan spirit can come one of two ways. It can, we go off into loose living or it can, I'm trying to earn it now. I'm just gonna do something for Jesus. It's great to do something for Jesus. We are his hands and his feet, but it's not anything that we're earning for him. The orphan spirit isn't something that we can cast out because it's ungodly beliefs or attitudes of our flesh that have been developing over a lifetime. We actually have to have our minds renewed and we have to believe what God says about us is true rather than believing these things that we've rehearsed over and over again, a soundtrack in our mind, it's on repeat, it's on a loop. We have to take out the tape, we have to take off that little file that repeats itself. You'll never do this. You are this. Whether we've said it to ourselves, a family member, 
Or we've just thought it. We've rehearsed these things over and over again. I've heard this phrase that God's a lot better than we think, so we need to change the way that we think. And there's the same thing that's true about us. He thinks about us better than we think about ourselves. Now, this isn't so that we can pat ourselves on the back and just say, hey, we just need to have positive attitudes and every morning if you do an affirmation, you're gonna be okay. That's not what it's about. It's about believing who he says we are and walking in that truth. That he sees that weak yes, that when we say yes to you, Jesus, I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to recognize a weakness in my life. I'm going to have people speak into my life. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to turn my way towards you. I'm going to set my face towards what you're wanting to do. I think that many people are longing for a home in heaven, not realizing that home is being secure in the presence of God that their mentality of is, I'll fly away and I'll be happy when I'm in glory, when I'm restored back with family members, when, when I'm with Jesus and there's no sin and there's none of this stuff that's, what does it look like that when we're born again, we enter into eternal life from that point on. It's not just about when we graduate from this side of reality. So the orphan spirit, it has become part of our personality and character. It must be displaced and be put to death by a personal experience in the Father's love and a revelation of the spirit of sonship. This requires repositioning of our life. And that's another quote from Jack Frost. So those ungodly beliefs, those strongholds need to be supplanted. We actually have to recognize them And then say, you know, that's not true. I'm not going to believe that about myself. I'm not going to say that about myself. If you wouldn't allow your best friend to say it to you, you should not be allowing yourself to say it about yourself. You are putting down an image bearer. We need to recognize if there's places of shame, fear, or guilt. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit, to come and bring his healing salve and his balm of Gilead on those places and bring healing to our inner man. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus. In Colossians 1.16, it says this, For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth. All things have been created through him and for him. And so we see Jesus, when he is baptized, before he's done any earthly ministry, right? This is the very beginning. We have this amazing experience where God the Father speaks from heaven. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on him like a dove. And what does God the Father say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done anything that we see in any of the miracles yet. He was pleased with him before he did anything. Can you believe that about yourself? That God is pleased with you right now? That as you've turned your heart to him and said, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. He's pleased with you. Does that mean that he's still going to clean up things? He's still going to, absolutely he's going to sanctify things. But he's pleased with you right now. So, we need to recognize that we are his beloved child and he is well pleased with us. 
All of Jesus' ministry was representing a father loving his children. This revelation is central. I've heard this phrase that Jesus Christ is perfect theology. When we look at the Bible through the lens of Jesus, he is perfect theology. He is the perfect representation of the invisible God. Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the truth about the Father. And he is the way for us to have that abundant life in the Father. And so in... 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. I believe that everyone that has said yes to Jesus has heard his voice. Jesus in John 10 says, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow after me. And so Kelly and I teach regularly about hearing God's voice, understanding that, discerning what God is saying. And I've said it before, I've heard others say it. I don't know if I hear God's voice or I don't hear God's voice like that person. And we do this comparison thing that isn't always helpful. But I believe that everyone that said yes to Jesus actually is responding to the fact that he spoke to them. And most, of, most people aren't having audible voice experiences. Now I hear of stories where people are being visited by Jesus in their dreams or having a vision similar to like Paul had on the road to Damascus. That does happen. There are experiences like that. But even when you said, Jesus, my life is yours, that was a supernatural experience. He spoke to you miraculously and brought you into his family. You were grafted in on that very day. Papa loves you, he likes you, and he's well pleased with you. I think a lot of us are okay with the loving part. We're not always so sure about the liking us part. That he, he doesn't just tolerate us. He's not just like, yeah, I love you because I am love. Like, that's part of who I am. But he actually cares for us in a personal and real way. God didn't send his son to make us valuable. He sent his son because we are valuable. So it wasn't like, okay, yeah, Jesus gives his life for the sins of the world, and now we've become valuable. We already had inherent value, and that's why he sent his son, to be reconciled to the Father. Agape love is his unconditional love. But phileo love is that love that is demonstrated and it means natural affection. It's the term where we get the brotherly love. He has both sides of that for us, that unconditional love and that phileo love, that love that is brotherly love. He likes us. I want to hear you guys say that. God likes me. Can you believe, like, if you don't believe that, I want you to start rehearsing that in your minds. Like, I, I know uh, this may date me a little bit, but there's a phrase where um, it used to be on SNL, and he's like, doggone it, people like me. You know, and that guy would joke about it, like he would do these affirmations. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. Now, that's cheesy, but what if we realize that God likes us? And not just likes us, like in, in a general sense. God likes me. You can personalize it. He sent his son for you. 
what if we lived with the reality of being the happy thought that God has when we wake up in the morning? We wake up in the morning and he's the puppy dog that's waiting at the base of the bed for us to get up. Now, I'm not likening him to that, but the joy that he has in his heart is real. And I don't think all of us have experienced that. When we recognize him as father, we go from servants to lovers. And I've heard this phrase, there are lovers and there are workers, and lovers always get more work done than workers. When it comes from that motivation and reality of love, it will change us. So God reveals himself in a personal way to the people of Israel as Jehovah Rapha. That's the first time. Now, he, he had spoken to them uh, on Sinai, and we had different experiences, but that was a personal way. The first time that he revealed himself was as Jehovah Rapha in Exodus 15, as their healer. His nature is to restore to wholeness. And nothing can separate us from his love. Romans 8.38 says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I know that Paul was like the king of run-on sentences, and sometimes we look at these things, and there's so much that's packed in there, and we just like kind of just blank out. But these aren't superlatives. This is reality. Nothing can separate us from his love. His nature is to restore to wholeness. In John 12, we see the story about Mary of Bethany, and she experienced this level of love and wholeness, right? She was willing to sit at the feet of Jesus and just be ministered to there. And her sister Martha's like, Jesus, come on, like, why is, why is Mary not helping me? And Jesus responds, he says, she has chosen the one thing that's important and it won't be taken from her, that she chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, be ministered to, and then we also have the fact that she pours out the perfume that was most likely the dowry that had been saved for her. So from what we can tell, she was single, her parents were most likely had passed away, this dowry that's worth a year's salary, She pours it out on the feet of Jesus and she was so secure in his love that she gave it as an offering. It it seemed foolish to some of the disciples. It may have even seemed foolish to some of the people in the room. And he said that she'll be blessed because what she did. Now, Judas has a different experience when he says that the perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. His heart was hard. He didn't say this because he was generous. It says that he said this because he was actually a thief, right? Same situation, different response. It says this about God in Psalm 68. He's a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows in his holy dwelling. God makes a home for the lonely He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious live in parched lands. 
So he leads us out of whatever types of prisons. And I think that that's not just physical prisons. He leads us out of places of darkness into lands of prosperity. And and I don't think that's just about uh, finances. I think that prosperity of soul exists there too. God not only wants to lead us past the problem, something that we're in prison to, he makes a home for us and he leads us into those areas of prosperity. It's that shalom and that peace of God where we are with him. So I'm just going to read a few verses of what it looks like to shift our mindset from where have we, even if we're born again, where have we continued to believe some of the orphan lies? And then I want to replace it with some of these truths from the scripture. In John 14, verses 16 through 18, it says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. So he's not going to leave us as orphans. He's coming back to us. In Romans eight fourteen through 16, it says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. We have been adopted. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. I heard someone say before that we can't be rejected by others when we truly believe that we're accepted in the beloved. You can't reject me when I've already been accepted by the one who truly matters. That the rejection just bounces off because we receive the ultimate acceptance into his beloved arms. He chose us before the foundation of the world. We are predestined. We have been accepted in the beloved. There's nothing that reject reject us once we settle into that being accepted. When we believe him, we are saved. When we believe in him, we're saved, I should say. When we realize he believes in us, we walk as sons and daughters. Now, we grow up in a democratic republic here. We don't fully know what a monarchy looks like. But I don't think most princes and princesses ever wonder if their king, their dad, the king, is going to provide for them. So why do we have a distrust that God's going to provide for us? Right? He says that if we ask for bread, he won't give us a stone. Right? He is a good, good father. He gives good gifts to his children. And I think sometimes we get worn down by trials in this life or the fears or anxieties that have come against us 
rather than recognizing that in those areas we lean into him. The two greatest commandments are loving God and loving others as we love ourselves. And I think that the world presents a way of loving ourselves that isn't healthy. And I think sometimes the church spends, pushes the pendulum so far the other way that they hate themselves and don't even enter into the, the aspect of loving themselves. They, they hate the, the sin or the pride or the flesh, but then they reject all the good things and, and can't even enter into the love that he has for us. We are truly new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And we need to live from that reality. I think sometimes as we read some of the things that Paul wrote and even some of the other epistles where it's written, like Paul said he was the chief of sinners, and people are like, yeah, that's me. Like, I'm the chief of sinners. Like, they latch onto that side, but then when they're like, new creation's like, mm, I don't know so much. Like, I'd rather hang on to the chief of Don't hang on to the chief of sinners side. Hang on to the new creation side. That's the reality side. We're seated with him in heavenly places side. Right? one of the ways that we do this is we recognize that the Father is our home and he's welcoming us with open arms just like he did to the prodigal son. And I have even heard some people say because prodigal means lavish, he's a prodigal God. He lavishes love on us. He welcomes us. He's ready to throw the robe on our back. He's ready to put the ring on our finger. So we learn to live from that place of sonship for our entire lives. That we're no longer slaves, but we've entered into that place of sonship. And so we're just gonna, I'm gonna have, uh, I have some of the team and they may come up and and share and then we're gonna enter into a time of prayer. So I'm gonna uh, pray for us in a general way and I'm gonna have Andrew come up here next. So Holy Spirit, right now we pray that you identify any area that we have held on to our old selves, who we used to be before Jesus or even after we've been following Jesus. We've carried around a wrong view of who you are as father or who we are as sons and daughters. Renew our minds. Lord, that we'll understand that you are pleased with us. You love us. You like us. Jesus, you gave your life for us. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. You're interceding on our behalf right now. And Holy Spirit, you dwell within us. That we will believe Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in each one of us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that we are works in progress, that you are transforming us into 
your son's image. And you're going to carry it on either until we go home to be with you in glory or you return on this earth and take us with you. Lord, that we will be your hands and your feet, that we will be so joyous. Lord, if we are walking around as bitter Christians, knock it out of us. Lord, that we will walk with joy, that the joy of the Lord will be our strength, that people will see us and see joy in our lives. And if there's places that need healing, Come and do that deep work in us, whether it's a one-step process, just like you did sometimes, or whether it's multiple steps and people coming alongside. Lord, lead us into those paths of healing and restoration. Thank you, Lord. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.